Okay, Parshas Chayasar. Basic storyline is, end of last week's Parsha, uh, we have the famous binding of Isaac, and Abraham, is, Abraham and Isaac are willing to uh, go through the uh, act of having Abraham slaughter Isaac. God tells them to stop, and Sarah hears the news, and she dies from it. That's where we left off. So in chapter 24... Verse 14, we have the famous story of find of the first real shidduch that we find in the Torah, where Yitzchak is now um, 40 years old, and he needs a wife. So what happens? We know that, that uh, Abraham wants him to marry a girl from his family, his general family, back somewhere in Iraq. He calls over his trustworthy servant, Eliezer, who himself was a great man, and asks asked him to go travel to back where he came from and bring back a good wife. doesn't really tell him much more than that. He just says, go find. I trust you. Just make sure she's not from where we are. So in chapter 24, verse 14, it says, now just to catch up quickly on a story here, he, he's very nervous. He wants to find a good match. When he gets to this city where he believes Abraham's family is, <clears throat> he has a little um, discussion with Hashem. And he says, I'm going to make a deal with you. The, I'm going to go to the well, and I have a bunch of men, and I have 10 camels, and I'm a big guy. But I need a lot, a lot of water. I'm going to, whatever girl comes and offers to give me to drink and my men to drink and my animals to drink, that will be a sign that that is the woman who is fitting to be the mother of the, of the nation of Israel. So he finishes that uh, conversation with God. And as soon as he's done, he sees this girl come. And what does the verse say? Verse says, read it in English, let it be to that the maiden to whom I shall say, please tip over your drug so I may drink. And what's she going to reply? Drink, and I will even water your camels. Her will you have designated for your servant, and I'll know from there. So what's, what's he finding here? I mean, anyone could do that. Seems like a pretty not good test, you know. So someone did someone did a kindness. What was he trying to find? And I saw in many of the commentators they say what he was trying to find. If you look, it's not just that she offered and that she did it, is that she's willing to she's willing to do more, and she does do more than is needed. Often Many of us are we're very kind, and we are happy to fill someone's need. But we ask ourselves, "Oh, what does that person need? What does the community need? What does my family member need? What does my friend need?" But the question, and that's a very high level. That's a if word only that we all did that. But Eliezer wanted to see: Is this a person who's trying to emulate God? Because what does God do? God always does more by definition because God doesn't have to do anything. So by definition, God is always doing more than he has to do. 
So what Eliezer was trying to see was this a young lady who would be, who her MO, her modus operandi would be to do more than she had to do. And if you keep reading all the verses, it keeps showing how, how she ran and she offered and she did it fast. And it was, she kept wanting to see, is there more? And that's the lesson that we see. What we're striving to do is not merely to take care of needs. I just, uh, you know, I've been fundraising for a long time. And at this point, you know, there's some younger uh, rabbi fundraisers who once in a while give me a quick text or a quick call trying to troubleshoot a situation. So a lot of times uh, it, ha it happens that a, a donor, a prospective donor will ask, well, what do you need, right? And kind of like, sometimes it's like, well, you know, do you really need all that? And, and the magnanimous way, the, what we're really look, looking for is, what does someone want? What would you? What, what could you accomplish? Like, what do you bare bones need? A lot of times, what you bare bones need is very, very little. But our, what we're shooting for, certainly with others, is is to look. What would they want? What would be a good idea? I heard, I heard on a tape once. I think it was uh, Rabbi Viner. Probably wasn't a tape. Probably a CD. Um, and I don't. Yeah. And he his father had a custom, and now he lived in Muncie. And Muncie is not like even in Providence. A lot of the houses are very like, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of grass and long driveways. And so not so much light at night. And after Shul, especially in the winter, Rabbi Viner's father used to give a lot of people a ride home. And he would make sure to always give them a ride all the way to their door, even if it wasn't good weather, all the way. And one time he said to his father, you know, like it's taking us an extra 10 minutes to get home because you're making sure to give it, but can you just like drop this guy off at that corner, go to that corner, he'll walk up a little bit. And he said, you know, when you're doing something, you do more than's needed. If you can, then, then you do more. And that's the lesson from that little, from all the little um, extra words that are put in, in the Torah over there. So let, let's look a little more because we're told, why does Hashem spend so much time on any stories about there's no laws here, but specifically, this story, there's a lot of details. The whole thing is, you know, it's tens and tens of, of verses, you, 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 and it still seems to be very wordy, but everything is teaching us something, and here's something else. So in the next verse, it says, Rebecca was coming out with her jug upon her shoulder. Nice, nice, nice detail, giving, painting a picture, but that's not the way the Torah works. Why is it telling us with her jug upon her shoulder? I figure she must have a jug, it's on her shoulder. So I saw a great explanation. Kind of, uh, you know, at this point, sometimes I always remember where the different things come from, that it's trying to say, if I'm a person who's willing to help people, I should make it easy for them to take from me. They should know I'm the kind of person who wants to give. Rifko was showing, look, here I got this empty jug on my shoulder. I'm happy to help anybody. See, I'm open for business. That's what the Torah is trying to, te to, uh, to teach us. 
the Talmud says, I believe it's the Talmud, that in Yerushalayim, there was this beautiful custom. Back is going back, you know, probably over 2,000 years. Uh, if there, there was a, a code system, if someone was able and willing to have guests, they would have a white kerchief outside their door. That was the code. And you would know, you're walking by, you need a meal, you just go there. It was easy. You didn't have to knock on someone's door to say, are you available? And they would say no. You didn't have to search. You knew what you were looking for. And in fact, in, 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 in many Jewish communities, this is a beautiful thing. There's something called gemachs. Gemachs is basically, typically, it's, you know, traditionally referred to borrowing money. But now people have all kinds of things that they want to loan people. And this is pretty comical. If you go to Israel, there's pages and pages of like the communities, gemachs, people have extra chairs. Uh, there's a, you know, people have extra certain type of food. It's, it, it's a beautiful thing. So when we do kindness, we see from here is that, yes, it's a nice idea to be humble. But even more important is we really want to give, we should make it easy for people. Is it, you know, um, I, don't, I don't know what I would do if I have a lot of money. I would have a lot of money, but I know in, in a lot of the cities now, unfortunately, I'm not able to, to go to all the places I usually go. But uh, in many places, wealthy people in Jewish communities make it very easy for people to come. Because I can tell you, you can spend a lot of time chasing and finding someone. There are a lot of wealthy people who actually publicize times of week and hours that they are available for people to come and ask them for money. It's a beautiful thing. They, you know, uh, in the, some, the city of Chicago was incredible. Every night you got four or five um, you know, houses that have hours and it's coordinated. So there's, there's, there's kindness and there's making it easy for, uh, and it's hard because sometimes we, you know, we don't want to do that. It's harder or we want to maybe subconsciously play hard to get. We want people to feel beholden to us. Not that anyone does that on purpose, but it's a subconscious uh, idea that could creep in. Okay, so I want to say one more piece on this interaction. It says she, in English, she ran, and it says that she was hasty. Really big focus on that. And I'll tell you a story. So Shalom Shadran, he was known as the Magid in Yerushalayim. He was a great rabbi. He was a very eloquent orator. He told stories with lessons. And when he was young, he was one time in Yerushalayim walking with his, taking his son to the doctor. And Rev. Isaac Sher, one of the, I believe he's the great uh, Slabodka or Shashiva, he sees him walking with his son. They look a little bit, you know, like they have a mission. And Rabbi Sher says to Rabbi Shvadron, he's like, where, where are you going? He says, well, I'm taking my son to the doctor. Now, this is a very high-level person, both of them. So Rabbi Sher says to Rabbi Shvadron, he's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm taking my son to the doctor. And then a third time, he says, what are you doing? I'm going to the doctor. And then he's like, hey, Rabbi, what's, what's the big idea? I got kids. They go to the doctor. Thank God, there's doctors. He said, Rabbi Shalom, the reason you're taking, if the only reason you're taking your son to the doctor is because he's your son, now, we love animals, but animals also take care of their kids. can't just be, oh, I have a responsibility. I'm taking care of my kid. 
it has to be, yes, of course you're going to do that. But you're taking care of a soul. You're taking care of a person. You would do it for anyone. It's a kindness. And the lesson that he was teaching and he ultimately learned from this week's Parsha is that we don't believe in small. You can take anything seemingly pathetic and small and turn it into a very, very elevated thing. And what we're saying is, yeah, she had an opportunity. She, she, now she, she probably felt like she should be polite and be welcoming and you can do it, but you can do it and you can do it. And, uh, and, and that, that's the way that you can really have two people. There's a whole book I saw in Yeshiva once where there were two people. The whole, it, it was a fictitious book, but it was a real book that I was trying to bring out a point that happens all the time. It was two men, two young Yeshiva students, same, like, you know, in intellect, personality, drive. They were very similar. And over the course, if you track them, <clears throat> sorry, if you track them <clears throat> for 10, 15 years, they seemed almost identical in their progress. But one of them was becoming, had a reputation as a very great man, very, very great person. Oh, it was a guy, a guy, you know, good guy. And the thesis of the book is to figure out what's the nuances that you can have two people basically doing the same thing. And one clearly is at a much higher level. And what he, and the, the, the book points out is this point that you can have, you can do something, you can do the same exact thing and be more, you know, uh, more focused what you're doing, more deliberate in what you're doing. And it makes a huge, huge difference. And, um, and I, I'm sure we know that. We know we know when someone does this a kindness, and it's like ah. And we know when we're doing something when our heart's not in. You know, there's a I'm always jealous. There's a great rabbi. Um, I wish I would have met him. His name was Rabbi Freifeld. Passed away rather young, but big, big, big uh, powerhouse rabbi in New York. And he was told when when, when he would give you a shalom aleichem, he would say hello, welcome. Like you literally felt like a million dollars, and he just had he, he just put, yeah he could have said shalom and been been, been giving you that smile, but he just he, he put energy into it. He worked on it, and uh, he became a very great person. You know, I remember I think it must have been seven eight eight years ago. I was learning with a young woman, and she said, you know, I get this Jewish thing. I'm, I'm sold, but I just can't turn over my whole life you know i have a job i have family i have friends and i don't have time to stop what i'm doing and i said you know what? i bet you if we went through your day yeah there's some minor changes okay you want to start keeping kosher it's obviously but your your day you can take your day and you can you can make everything you're already doing just do with the focus like her job was actually a service job a service job could be all day doing a mitzvah or it could be just a job that's what we learned from Rivka. Okay, so that's that's one of the of, of the big stories in this parsha. If you have time, we'll we'll focus more on that. But the first big story in the parsha is Sarah's dead. Sarah passed away. Abraham is obviously in tremendous uh, emotional pain, and he needs to find a place to bury his wife. A, a, and, and, a, and, a, and an appropriate place. 
we know today where uh, she and her husband and, and all the forefathers are buried in Adam and Eve. They're buried in, in, in Hebron, in Hebron, in the place called the Double Cave. Well, that property and the adjacent field were bought by Abraham. And what happens is, if Avram goes to this place, to these people called the B'nai Ches. They say, Avram, of course, will give you the land for free. Now, the Torah, if you look in the nuances, it becomes clear that that day, a new governor was appointed. A real aristocratic, high-powered high person. And his name was Ephraim. And the commentators point out, like, why is that important to, for us to know that this was the day that Ephron came to power? And many of the commentators say that Avraham was an aristocrat. He was a world class in every sense, in his wealth, in his way he carried himself, in his accomplishments, personality. And, you know, if you would have had to just broker with some, you know, low-level uh, real estate guy, okay, he would have been fine. Avram wouldn't have, have complained. He didn't really care. He just wanted to get it. But Hashem wanted it to be an honor and appropriate thing for Avram to deal with someone of a high level. So that day, he orchestrated the, orchestrated the governance of the area that this high, you know, you'll see from the story, he wasn't exactly such a, a developed, refined personality. But he was a very prestigious uh, person in, in those circles. And the question which we can ask is, why do we care? Like, is that so important? You know, I just lost his wife. He just wants to bury her. You know, is this something that, that, that Avram, I think, really cared? Do you think he cared? I didn't care. So we learned from here a very uh, far-reaching concept, which is a little bit deep, maybe even probably even more deep than I could really explain or understand. But it's the concept that Avraham was someone who completely was always conscious of God. He literally walked with God. He felt God all the time. Now, if you have an appreciation of God, God is, is, is his essence. He's able to do anything he wants without any extra effort. Now, if you live with that awareness that there's God walking right next to you who could do anything for you, and it's not more work for him, then if someone is deserving of it, then you just do it, even if the person doesn't care. If you really feel that presence, then you do it. And it's like, you know, think about you know, friends and family. If they only did for you the stuff that they know you really minded. They never did more. They never gave you, quote unquote, something that you don't really care for. It always was exactly what, what is to make you comfortable. Never more. Never, quote-unquote, enough to quote and give you a little bit of honor that you really don't need, but obviously you'd appreciate. No, as people, we can't often supply that. But for God, God can. And God said, you know what? You walk with me all the time. You're deserving of that honor. And maybe you'd even care for it. But I'm going to give it to you. And there's two lessons. One is that 
God acts with us in sync with the way we're aware of him. Famous question. If I, if I, um, if I have a red light, I'm driving and I make a red light. Did God orchestrate that red light? Or do we say, come on, God is way too busy dealing with the coronavirus, way too busy dealing with the elections and, and things happening all over the world. He doesn't care about my red light. Well, the way we say God runs the world is that to the degree that you walk with God, and as the Katzka Rebbe said so beautifully, he was known as a very sharp, succinct rabbi. And he said, ask me where is God in the world, wherever you let him in. And, and, and that's how it is. And I think we all can feel that. When, 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 you, when God is literally walking with you, that's how you can have someone who's not scared. How are you not scared? If you really feel God is right there, that's what we find that great people, stories of Joseph and other stories, where they're held accountable for sometimes putting in too much effort. Now, we know you're supposed to put in effort. Well, we're, we, the amount of effort, says the Chobos uh, Abba, his duties of the heart, he says, the, how much effort am I supposed to put in? Now, I always like to say I have a friend, a pretty comfortable friend, and I asked him for charity once, not for me, you know, for an organization or a cause, whatever it was. I said, you know, Rabbi, you know, how do I know if I have enough money in the bank? And I said, well, look, you know, at a certain point, you got to just trust God. He's like, well, what's that point? And he's right. The Chavos says the point that how much work you have to do is how much when you feel, when you feel God's there. When you feel, okay, I, I, I've done mine, and I, I actually can trust God now. So to, so it actually ends up a little bit, it's almost like a reverse, it's a circular, that the more I believe in God, the more I feel him, and I'm actually trusting him, I can actually do less. And you see that with great, great people. They are able to do that. Um, you know, for all of us, we got to kind of figure that out. But it's something to... to um, to strive for. Okay, let's go back a little bit to the story. Abraham's servant, Eliezer, he, the Talmud says, he walked into the Garden of Eden after he passed away alive. There's almost no, very few people that we know. He is, is a, a very, very righteous person. But yet we find many verses. Abraham says, do you swear? You swear you're not going to take a girl from Israel. You're going to take a girl from my family. And this was a man who we've seen already a number of times in the Torah that Avraham trusted him with everything. He was in charge of his multi-multi-million dollar estate. And the question is, why all of a sudden is he not trusting him? What's going on? So B'chaim Salvechik, famous B'chaim Salvechik, the Brit of, of, of the Brisker dynasty, he asked this question, and he gives an analogy. He says, if I owned millions, millions and millions of dollars in real estate in a certain country, and I went to the country, I got off the plane, and I'm like, you know what? I need to have a manager on the ground. I need someone to collect rents. I need someone to be responsible. You wouldn't walk down the street, look on, look on, a, on a door, 
you know, property property management available. You would you wouldn't just take it. You would do research. You would find out. You would really make sure because there's a lot of money on the line. But yet, just giving a personal example, you know, if something let's say you know anyone can claim something's kosher. So something is kosher. Just says kosher. So somebody say, look, you know, if he says kosher, it must be kosher, right? Well. Would you do that for your money? Would you do that for something for your health? Maybe you would. Maybe, maybe you wouldn't. But for Abraham, this was about his his son. This was about the future of the Jewish people. This was about the future of the world's spiritual level. He's like, yeah, I trusted him for money. And I still may even trust him for this. But this is so important. You know, a lot of, a lot of times, you know, we get we get insulted. In a situation, if someone wants to second guess, someone wants to get a second opinion, but a lot of times it's not about personal. It's about, you know, I don't even trust myself. This is something really, really important. And I've tried to give this over in a lot of situations where sometimes people get offended if someone may have a little different level of um, standard in some, and when it comes to something religious, keeping kosher, there's many, many things. And it's not, it's not personal. It's about, it's really important. You want to be, you want to be, everyone knows when it comes to all kinds of financial things or let's say, uh, you know, you're getting a bid on a project. So you get different opinions. You're trying to get the best and, and, and it doesn't mean you're bad. And, and, and that we, we learned that from here, that even someone Abraham trusted so much but when something was more, even more important, more important than his money. And, you know, a lot of times we have, we have it backwards. Sometimes we care more about money than other things. We care more about fun than other things. We care more about sports than other things. And you want to make sure we have our, um, our, our, our head on straight. So, famous says in Ethics of the Fathers that Abraham had 10 big tests. According to, and they were, um, they, they kept up, upping the ante. In other words, each test traditionally was considered harder than the one before it. According to most medieval commentaries, the, the last test that's counted was the test of the binding of Isaac. Understand, can't imagine a bigger test. But Rabbi Yonah, one of the great medieval commentaries, says the last test was the episode of Avraham coming back and his wife dying and trying. What's the test? This whole thing where he was trying to get the land and it was hard and the guy tried tricking him it was a whole to do it was something he shouldn't even have to pay for it was his inheritance and it wasn't pleasant so everybody asks like okay it's not fun it's frustrating but how could that be a greater test than killing your son being asked to kill your son so there's a number of answers one answer is phone by Dessler I'm going to tell you one before I get to Rabbi Dessler. Listen to this. You know, Abraham may have thought, or he could have thought, look, I've arrived. God tested me, killed my son. I didn't do it. I am ready for my golden years. There's 100 already. So way over 100. In his hundreds. And he could have said, you know what, God, I want to sit back. I want to get, enjoy the children, enjoy the grandchildren. You know, I've accomplished so much. And, and he wanted to just be. 
But what happens? Comes back home, he feels good, he passed the test. Yes, even his wife died, he still accepts it. But then this little thing, why can't it go smoothly? Why can't this thing go smoothly? You know, it's my land. God told me I can gain this land. Now I have to pay and I have to deal with this conniving guy. And you know what? Abraham's teaching us that that's life. We are here. We are here our entire life till our last breath to make the most of it. You know, we, we could make a million dollars an hour. We wouldn't say, okay, you know, I got enough. I got enough. I mean, most people would not do that. We're talking about every moment in this world is is eternity we're 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 defining who we are for eternity and that's what the test was the test was you know sometimes the big tests are easy but when you have like you keep being another test and another test and another test could we get hurt but if you keep going keep going that's what we learned from from abraham but Dester shares us another answer and we, here we see Abraham shine. Abraham, quote-unquote, had a very rough day. Really harrowing experience trying to, uh, to, um, to do what? Sorry, to, um, to not kill, he, he was attempting to kill, kill his son, and then his wife dies, and, um, he could have said he had a rough day. And then when he goes and deals with this person, he's like, uh, you know, I, I don't have patience for you. You're being really rude to me, and I'm not going to stand for that. And he would have been within his rights. But what does he do? He deals with absolute finesse with this person. Absolute finesse. And um, that's, that's what we learn. That uh, really... A level which we strive for is that even on even on even when we're having a hard day, now we shouldn't kill ourselves and beat ourselves up if we don't. But um, even when it's hard, even when we're having a rough day, my hard day doesn't mean I don't have to treat you properly. There's a famous story with Shlomo Zaman Arbach, great great sage of the past generation, and what he he was in he was in the hospital and he had just found out that unfortunately his wife passed away and what happened was was a student of his in the same ward had just had a child I and mean, he didn't know that from was had just found out that his wife passed away the student runs over at the arbach now obviously maybe he would have thought he probably didn't think that, you know, uh, his his rabbi, rabbi is in the in, in the in the hospital. Maybe something's not so good. But Ixam comes over to him and he's ecstatic. He says, "Rabbi, I just had a child." And Arbach obviously was in tremendous pain, but he doesn't lay on at all. And he shares in the and the the joy of his student. And someone afterwards who witnessed what happened, he said, "Rabbi, well, you know, I'm sure if you would have told them." That, you know, or you wouldn't have responded that way. He wouldn't have understood. He's like, you know what? Just because I'm having a rough day, why does that have to hurt his his joyous occasion? Now, it's a high high level, but it's just something to, uh, to 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 uh, keep in mind. Now, I heard on Rabbi Fran say, her friend's a great man, so don't worry. I'm not trying to 
he himself said this story. He said he was once in the uh, store and someone was bagging his groceries. And my friend saw that the person was really being a little bit lazy and kind of really throwing a lot in one bag. So my friend, in a, in a very you know polite way, he said, you know, if it's you know be possible to you know make the bags lighter. And the bagger snapped it on my friend and says, "You don't like it, do it yourself." Now my friend is a very eloquent, uh, very good with words. He probably could have, you know, leveled him. <laughs> but he did was he said, you know. Did I say something offensive that warranted such a response in a very like not like a, almost like a just like a matter of fact way? And the guy says, you know, nah, I just had a hard day. So listen, we're not we're not, we're not in the judging. We're not trying to judge people. People get like that. We all do that. But we see in someone else how that's not really the way it goes. Because I had a rough day doesn't mean that uh, you have to suffer. By the way, I just realized, I apologize that I I forgot that I moved the time up to 7.30. So some of you probably, probably were waiting for a few minutes, but we're, we're back on track and we'll just finish a couple more, more ideas and we'll wrap up. So Abraham comes to the to this place to buy the, um, the land and the cave and he introduces himself as a Ger Vitoshev, a alien and a resident. He meets the people of the city, the Bnei Ches, and they say to him, no, you are not an alien or a resident. You are a Nisi. You are a prince. What is a prince? Now, Abraham was a prince. But what is a prince? Well, the word in Hebrew is Nasi, president. The, the, uh, the word for president in Hebrew is Nasi. Nasi comes from the word no say, one who carries. The main purpose of a leader or a president is to be responsible, not the honor, not the privileges, but to toil and to toil tirelessly. And when Abraham showed up, they recognized about him because what he was doing was he was getting down with the nitty gritty. He could have sent his servant and and made all the arrangements, but obviously someone has to have some, you know, respect. But the main focus in having a big position is not for the honor, not for the privileges, but to to carry and to feel a responsibility for for everybody. The Medrash says that Abraham became very very wealthy, and. The Pesach basically says that Abraham was blessed bakol, with everything. That's, the, that's what the verse says. The Medrash says, why was he blessed with everything? He was blessed with everything because earlier when God made him rich, he gave 10% to charity. Wonderful. It's a great thing to do. But Abraham has done a lot of great things. He's shared monotheism with the world. He's so many students and so much kindness. But the thing that reason why he got Bakol, Abraham got everything, was why? Was because he gave the 10% to charity. What's that about? 
So what understanding is, is that, you know, the reason God endows us with talents and assets, assets, resources, and money is to use them and to be a good steward of them, to use them appropriately. When Abraham got money and gave that 10% away, he was, that is why he got everything, because he was showing, I'm a good steward. And that's actually, you know, it applies to money, it applies to gifts, it applies to blessing. If we want to continue to have it, you got to give it away. Because God has endless, endless resources, and we show him we're a good steward. He'll say, wow, I'm going to get my goodness into the world through this person. This is a good person for that. And that is what, why he got everything. So you want everything? Give. Lastly, before we do a quick review... It says by Rivka, as it does by Sarah and it does by Rachel, it says that, that when they were talking about finding the prospective match for, to, for, for marriage, the Torah makes a point of saying she was very, very attractive, very beautiful. And we say every week in the Asia Israel, the woman of Valor song, we, uh, in many places we hear from Shlomo Melech, that Sheker Achein, the Hevel Hayofin, beauty is nothing. Favor is nothing. A woman who fears God, that's the person who you want. So why is the Torah, when, when uh, enumerating the, um, the characteristics and the attributes of, uh, of our foremothers, our, our, the, 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 the women who laid the foundation for our people, why is it important to mention that they're pretty? And I heard, uh, saw this in many different, different places from Rabbi Palm. And the palm said, you're right. Beauty by itself is a zero. Zero. But what happens when you put a one in front of a zero? Or there's a lot more, right? A zero can turn a thousand to ten thousand. Turn ten thousand to a hundred thousand. A hundred thousand to a million, right? Zero is a good thing. So if you're a person who's beautiful on the inside, you have a beautiful soul, you've a beautiful character, refined character, then the physical things that you have, they, they, are, they are good. They, they merge and they synergize with the spiritual and it becomes an amazing, amazing thing. And we see that when people who are talented and people who have gifts, worldly gifts, when they're elevated people, then it, it enhances. In fact, a king of the Jewish people is supposed to be a handsome person, a very strong person, a wealthy person. You would say, who cares? Is, is he, does he have a good, good character? And we say the way God made the world is that if a person uses their spirituality properly, it takes those physical things and it elevates them and they are important. But yes, by themselves, there are zeros. You could, but a lot of zeros, but a one in front of them, a good character, becomes a great thing. So a quick review. Talked about how when we're looking to see how great someone is, we will want to see if someone is someone emulating God. Are they doing more than they have to do? We also talked about if you're willing to help people to make it public, not that you have to sit there and flaunt it, but make it easy for the people who you're trying to help. Like Rivka held the dog on her shoulder. She was saying, look, I'm here to help. She made it easy for people. 
we see the fact that Torah makes a point that she ran and she was hasty. That shows us how every single thing has the ability to be a great thing. You can elevate simple things. Someone wants a cup of water. Here's a cup of water. You can say, here's a cup of water. Number four, we said, we showed how if a person walks with God, then, then, then God gets very involved in their life. The same way Hashem made, he changed around the governance in the town to be more prestigious for, for Avraham. Why did Avraham not trust Eliezer? Because when certain things are really, really important, we understand that you're going to double check and triple check and want to make sure we have priorities that we're not um, misprioritized, that we are, um, that we, 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 we uh, triple check for things that aren't as important and we don't do for things that, that are important. We talked about why this episode of trying to find the and, and purchase the, um, the double cave was considered a, such a great test. One, one understanding we said was that, yeah, that if you have to keep going, to keep going, that not just in the big cases, to keep going in the more day-to-day things, that's a very great thing. And also we said how being able to finesse and keep going, and even if you're having a hard day, you're not taking out on other people, that is a very, um, something to aspire to. We also said how what made Abraham a prince, the fact that he felt responsibility, he shouldered, he worked toilessly for others. He saw how when Abraham tithed, when he gave 10% of, of his assets, that showed Hashem that he was a trustworthy steward, and that's why he became even more and more wealthy. And that applies to not just money, it applies to any skill, talent, or benefit that God gives us. We want to keep it our health. God wants to keep giving us all such You know, when I'm healthy, I'm a good person. I'm a better person. And lastly, why do we care about beauty? And for that matter, why do we care about anything, anything physical? Because the way the world's made is that when you take that zero, you take the money, you take the beauty, you take the strength, you take the the um, the uh, the charisma, you put the one in front, you put a good character in front of it, it raises it up, and that and that synergizes to make something amazing. So uh, have a good Shabbos, beautiful Shabbos. Everyone should stay uh, safe and happy and healthy. And uh, thanks for coming on. Good Shabbos.